Welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and today we're going to be talking about debt and the heart. And this is going to be a little bit different of a program because Anthony, Pastor Anthony over there and myself, we're going to have a conversation about a parable that you find in the New Testament, and we're going to relate that to the world around us and kind of examine the mind of the the individual that's found in this parable. We're going to do a little bit of criminal minds in the Bible, but then we also know that it's the sin nature causing this. So there's a little bit of a criminal mind in all of us that is really the root of a lot of suffering and things that go on in the world. It is brought by the sin nature, and we never can forget that. So as I said, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by Clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, on the note of clergy in the Church of the Nazarene, the two of us that you've got here in the studio today is myself, Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and one other. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And thank you, Pastor Anthony, for being here with me. And you, he runs a lot of the software and stuff. So for all those who think he may not be talking as much, it is because he's doing a lot of brain-intensive stuff over there. Um, and not trained for it either, officially, or not. Um, well, no formal training. No formal training. <laughs> Though I guess I kind of formally trained you for this, but it's, it's fun. Well, today, Pastor Anthony is going to be talking a little bit more with me. We're going to look at this text in Matthew 18 and talk about debt. And we're going to be trying to find some practical understandings of, of debt in the world and how we relate to different stuff. I know one of the big questions that people have when it comes to something like debt, and Anthony may find that this happens actually a lot with different things people have in life, whether it be something like uh, alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, especially like marijuana. People ask the question, you know, are these things sinful or not? Is or are items in the world, and you see this with guns and stuff too. They look at guns and they say, well, are guns sinful to have? Are they inherently bad? Are they inherently good? You see how people ask these questions, Anthony, about objects. So I'm not talking about behaviors, but objects. You oh, yeah. find something like debt. And debt, while it's not an object like you can reach out and touch it, it is something which is a noun that's not a person. If anybody is the personification of debt, please send me an email because we need to have a conversation. Um, That's not a person. It's uh, something you interact with. And the thing with all of these items which are out there in the world, whether it be debt, whether it be, you know, alcohol, whether it be something like firearms, none of these things have any moral value by themselves. It's how we relate with them that implies moral value. Um, Obviously, if you interact with certain things, they are designed for sin, but and they take you to a place of sin. And to give an example of that, something like adult content um, is something which is, and just to use the um, pornography or something like that, uh, is obviously meant to advance the cause of sin. However, if you just happen to be in a room and somebody has some on your their phone and you're, you have no idea about it, you're not inherently sinning just because you're in the presence of it when it's unfamiliar to you because you're not interacting with it. The sin with these items is how you interact with them rather than the nature of the item itself. Now, the people who made it may have been sinning while they were doing it. And they have made something that they want to perpetrate some sort of sinful behavior, but they're not sinful themselves. So, Anthony, let's get to our text today, and we're going to find a fascinating parable about a guy who's forgiven. And we live in a day and age where people, they get a lot of grievances with the world. They feel really let down. They feel like they're not where they want to be. And they just think that if they had more power, if they had more money, all that would go away. But we're going to find a parable which kind of turns that on its head a little bit. And it takes us to the truth that we kind of know if we look closely at the world around us, that there is a sin nature running through all of us, regardless of where we're at and what situation we're born into. So, Pastor Anthony, would you read for us out of Matthew chapter 18, verses 23, all the way down to 35? 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began reckoning, one who owned him, who owed him, 10,000 talents was brought to him. And he could not pay. His lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave, that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Alrighty, thank you, Pastor Anthony, for reading that scripture with us. So as we come to the Gospel of Matthew, we are invited to walk on this adventure of holiness. And as we are making this walk through life, and hopefully on the way of life, we, we realize that many of these stories, they are completely identical to the world we live in. How many times have we seen somebody who is given something in charity, and then they turn around and do something monstrous with it. Or it may be not even something that rises to the scale of monstrosity, but they they do something with it they shouldn't do. I mean, you, you think of something small, like the person who's asking for money on the side of the road, you give it to them, and while you're stuck in traffic, you see them cross the street and go into a, a well, alcohol shop and go in there and buy themselves some booze. Like, you see things like this happen where people take charity and they turn that on its head and all of this really has to do with the sin nature that goes on in our hearts Pastor Anthony? I think uh, I know about a pastor who had given money to a homeless man and after he had driven down the street the homeless man who said he was hungry or he didn't give him money, he gave him his food, his lunch the homeless man said that he was hungry and was asking for food, the pastor gave him his lunch that he uh, had prepared for himself and the homeless man as he was driving down the street threw it on the ground and <laughs> That probably uh, changed him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen stuff pretty similar to that happen. Um, but the truth is, is that all of God's creatures are subject to the same inherited sin nature that all of us have since we were born. Um, whether we're a daughter of Eve or a son of Adam, we all have the same problem. And now God wants to reconcile us with that, but that requires a change of the heart. So one of the things which I wanted us to talk about today is really looking at what's inside this text, what is moral, what's immoral about it, how does that change our perspectives on the world, how we look at power and our own response to the powers in the world. We live in a day and age where people have, they really are frustrated with the things that go on. They look at the class warfare and stuff that goes on. Um, they kind of want to have the whole system unplugged and start again. But the thing is, is we have so many people who want to do that without recognizing that the sin nature is the problem. There's also a lot of people who want to do this who 
are not familiar with history at all. They look at America and they say, oh, America's got all these inherent sins and things built into it. And you would be like, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's created by people. It's not the kingdom of heaven. And it's it's never been <laughs> announced that this is this is God's final kingdom. But at the same time, when you look at history, America has done more to alleviate the, the sort of... Um, oppressions and the, the tyrannies that go on in the world more than anywhere else we've seen in history. I mean, that's just an objective truth. But at the same time, people don't really grasp this on the, the personal level because they still see personal afflictions in their life. And people are going to, as long as we are on this side of Eden and on this side of heaven, because, as Jesus tells us, you will always have the poor with you, not because it's good to have poor, but because God was merciful enough to offer us a way of salvation. And there are going to be people who say no to that, and there's still going to be bad stuff that happens. So what we find particularly in this text is a king who has his slave, his servant, and different translations will translate that differently. Um, you've got your king, and he's having his day of reckoning. He's bringing in those who owe him stuff, and he's got one particular slave slash servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, that's no small chunk of change, but again, if you're a servant um, and you're getting reckoned, it really doesn't matter whether you owe one to 1,000 talents, 10,000 talents, or maybe just one talent. It really doesn't matter if you don't have the money, obviously. But what we see happening here is this guy who was going to have this, this other servant sold, his children, his possessions, his wife, you know, it's going to be a pretty bad day. He sees that the, the servant, the slave, he falls on his knees and he makes this, this appeal to him and he has compassion and he forgives him of his debt. But now that same guy who was forgiven of his debt, he turns around and he acts with vitriol against his fellow creatures. He turns to his fellow man who owes him. And instead of having forgiveness, he instead just turns into a monster and is vicious with him. Why do you think that is, Anthony? Why was it that the king's action was not enough? To convince him to uh, be merciful to the next? Yeah, why do you think it? Because the king is obviously displeased with this. Why do you think the king's action of charity was not enough? And this is live and unscripted, just so everyone knows. We're, we're working through this in real time. Yeah. Um, I think it may be connected to consequences. Could be. Um, I know that people who do end up having to suffer the consequences of their actions, like taking out, you know, 10,000 talents, I, I think that must be uh, a ridiculous number in terms of uh, the amount of work it would take to pay something like that off. Yeah. Um, if well, you're gonna, not ever punished for that sort of thing, you, maybe you don't ever really understand it. Maybe. Um, but to the other side of that, do you think the, the guy who, <laughs> who is the other slave in this story, the one who wasn't able to pay and the, the forgiven servant just goes crazy on him, do you think he suddenly knows how to be charitable? The text doesn't say that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I've, I have my proposition that I would like to posit to you all out there. Charity doesn't actually change people's hearts. Now, it has the potential to open up doors, and we are called to be charitable people, so I don't want anybody to hear me going out of context to say that, that I'm saying charity is bad. Charity is, is a very good thing. But charity is not the same thing as changing hearts. And one of the reasons that you find of that is I can be charitable to someone else, but then there is a decision that is onerous on them in their life and how they are going to respond to it. Now, what's happened here is the king... He has done a great act of charity, and it, it seems to be quite an expensive act of charity. I mean, you 
10,000 talents is a lot. It may not be so much for the king as it is for the servant, but it still nonetheless is a lot. You know, money doesn't just come out of nowhere. Um, we don't know a lot about this king and this servant. We don't get that full of a story here. But he's been out on his limb here being charitable, but the servant then has a choice in his heart about what he is going to do. And see, this is how it is when we relate to things in the world. You cannot legislate people out of sin. And we, in, really in America, we, we've been teeter-tottering on different issues. You know, how do we respond to different stuff? Do we use the, the government to enforce um, morality? And what we know from out human history is the government cannot force a morality on people. It can only create a way of adjudicating things. And if you want to know the truth, all human interactions, you cannot really force people to do stuff out of their own heart. And I don't care whether you're working within your own family, you're working on a global scale, or, or what. You cannot force people to have a change in their heart. They have to be willing to do that. And one of the things which is phenomenal about Christ Jesus is that he comes to us and gives us an opportunity to make a choice. Jesus trusts us enough as daughters of Eve and sons of Adam to make a choice to follow him. And he wants us to be reconciled to him. And once we do choose to follow Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit coming in our life and, and convicting us, we do find that we are quickened to live holy lives. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy thing or an easy transformation. It, it does come at the cost of the old self dying and a new self being regenerated. And what we see happen here in the story is somebody, and there's another big important lesson that's important to find here, is even though this guy we might perceive as being a victim because he's a slave or a servant, he is still fully capable of being sinful and doing wicked things. Anthony? I just wanted to build off that and point out that um, we're not saying that people earn their salvation in any way no, not whatsoever. At all. But to make it very, very clear in like a practical sense, you know, whenever Jesus places this choice before people, that is an extension of God's grace from the beginning. Because these people are destined, or perhaps destined, in any case, um, they're on the path of death these people are with no alternative to life outside of the grace that God shows them and so for Christ to even become incarnate and come before them and reveal things about the kingdom of God and allow them the choice to come into the kingdom is for them to be give to be offered a very gracious gift if only they accept it yeah and even after they accept it it is the work of the Holy Spirit which transforms them and yeah. so it's not our work we're not arguing for our work but uh, there are good scriptural evidences for the value of people's choices and response to God and where it is that go they're going to be placing their faith and who they're going to be faithful to. Certainly. And you can find that within the story. This man is not capable of producing the 10,000 talents for himself. So when the king does that for him, sort of like Christ purchasing our salvation for us, then he has a choice. What is his heart going to do in response to that? Is his choice going to be to mimic the king and to embody the virtues of the king? Or is his decision just to continue on the sinful path? And there are a lot of people who they look at the gift of salvation and decide to continue on the sinful path. So there's another practical thing that we find being taught to us in this story. And this is a very important lesson, and I probably should have led with this. One of the red flags about the servant here, and we can look at this and there's a lesson to learn, is that he has a different morality for himself than he does for others. And it's not 
so much that it's in the sense of me versus Anthony. It's in other words, two people in the room, but he has a different morality for how people work on the individual and personal level than how they do on the macro level. So when this guy looks at the king and the king's representing a whole nation here, when he looks to things at like the nation standpoint, he says, well, you know, the nation, they've got all this stuff, they've got all this wealth, they should just be forgiving debts. And of course, he's not capable to pay those debts. Not at all. But when it comes to his personal life, is he willing to forgive any debts? No. And I think actually, this is so hilarious. That reminds me so much of the type of people who sort of think that everyone else in the world needs to be generous except for me. Yeah, they, they think, <laughs> well, we've got people in our society and the church has really dropped the ball on this one. We've allowed the government to take over. So things like welfare, things like subsidized housing and stuff like this, these should have never been governmental institutions. That is not, that's not a, the appropriate role of government. That should be things that the church is doing. Um, these are things which, which belong in the church because that's where true charity lies. This man here is not charitable when he has the government forgive his debts. That is not charitable on his behalf. Um, the choice for him to be charitable comes when he looks to this other man and he forgives his debt. And we have a lot of people who, who have morality flipped in the way that they think if it happens first at the large scale level, you might say macro, M-A-C-R-A-O level, sort of the big global scale of things. If the virtues happen there first, then they will trickle down to people. Um, that's not how the world works at all. Um, morality does start with you and your home. The, the greatest nations that exist on earth are the family units, which are just husband and wife there with their children. Um, God designed us as little societies to operate with one another. Then we should, that is the place where virtue should be embodied. The, the virtue you have at home with your family is far more important than any sort of going out and, and demanding virtues be applied at the, the larger scale because if you can't get things right there where you're at at home, Things are never going to be right at the, the massive scale because, again, societies, they're made up of individual persons. And transformation, it begins in the heart of the individual and it grows out. This is one of the things which is phenomenal about Christianity and about having a Savior who's not just another King David. He's not another Moses in the wilderness, but he really is the Word of God incarnate coming with the power to bring order to your heart, to have transformation in your heart. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that that's going to be easy. Um, Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he, he knows it's going to be pain and suffering. And when he resurrects, he knows that there's going to be persecution for his followers. But we as Christians, we must be asserting to the world that when you feel stressed out about things, don't be demanding the king solve the problem. You've got to look in your own heart and look to the world around us and say, how much can I do when I take a leap of faith? And you'd be surprised. God takes us to phenomenal places when we're willing to. Anthony, I know you had some some thoughts you wanted to share to on that. To your point, um, the king that we should be petitioning is our father in heaven. Yeah. Uh, there are times, I think, whenever it's appropriate to um, seek some sort of solutions for problems through the government, I think those are very limited, <laughs> um, basically, to protecting your rights. But... Uh, aside from that, um, we should definitely be seeking our father first. And I mean, just look at the testimony of the scriptures. We're not called to remain faithful to God and therefore go and petition our leaders. We're called to remain faithful to God 
and therefore be holy as he is holy yeah. and to be a blessing as he has been a blessing to us. Yeah. We live in a in a world where where people they're not moved by reason as much as I used to really hope that they were. When I was young, when I was a, a young pastor and first coming out of Treveca, I kind of had this mentality that, yeah, if you have this beautifully articulated sermon and you've got all of your exegesis worked out. Again, most people don't even know what exegesis means, and most ministers probably don't even use that word because it's it's a word which kind of makes you sound like a horse. Um, but this thing is, is I thought that if, if you have all the right studies done um, and you can come behind the pulpit and present them, you know, people are going to be moved by it. And the truth is, all those studies are very important and they help formulate who you are. But at the end of the day, we have to be looking to people on the heart level and offering the solutions to the hearts that people have, and to the problems that people have in their hearts. And we look in this story and we see that this guy, he has a problem in his heart. Um, he has some practical things which are going to cause a lot of stress. Debt can cause a lot of stress on people. And when given the opportunity to receive a beautiful gift, because really, we look at this story thinking that he's been only offered one gift, but it's clear that the story is implying that he's been offered two gifts. He's been offered the gift of having his debt released, but then he's offered also the gift of grace and that he's been given a example to live by in charity. So there's sort of the two sides of the, the gift that he gets there, or maybe you could say two separate gifts. There's the physical gift of the money and then the gift that goes down in the heart that, that changes who you are. And there's a lot of people who they have different standards for these things, whether it be their personal life or their large-scale view on the world. And there are people who they're willing to accept the tangible gift, but they really don't want the honest deep down within the recesses of the heart gift. And we as the church, we've got to be asserting that in the church, God wants to transform your heart, and that will shape how you interact with everything in the world. We see a lot of people who look at the world around us and they see problems, things like debt. They really stress people out. I know of so many people that went to Trevecca Nazarene University, which is where I went, who left there with a lot of debt. I know married couples that are just swamped in debt. Um, I was blessed in that avenue um, to be able to get through Trevecca Debt 3, and it wasn't just because it all came in scholarships either. Um, there was good things that happened, but um, and even when I was working through grad school, I know that finances and things of that nature, they're stressful. And even for people who've never gone to college, debt, whether it be through credit cards, all of this stuff can be really, really stressful. And when people find themselves to be swamped by this, they look at the world and they say, well, I kind of just hope everything gets unplugged and rebooted and all the debt's forgiven and we just start over. But we have to realize that that never solves the problem unless there is a transformation in the heart. And whenever we're, we're struggling with things, maybe you're, you're thinking about buying a new car or something like that. One of the things we have to keep in mind is things like debt, they can facilitate sin. There can be a sinful amount of, of bad stewardship that one gets involved with when they take out debt. Um, there are other times where it, it may not be the case, where it may be something you, you've got to do. You get put in a situation where this is your, your best option. It can be a good decision, like taking out a loan on a house. But we, as Christians, we must assert the appropriate role of stewardship. This really is a Christian discipline. And we must realize that stewardship, things like debt, they are spiritual matters, even though debt itself may not inherently be a sin. It's something we relate to. How we engage with it is where we become sinful or righteous. We have to be willing to look at the world and say, is it reasonable for me to step into this? And if not, 
you know, I need to have some way of, of having that victory where I can say no. Anthony? Um, kind of to your point, uh, whenever I think about that, it's almost not even like a object. And if it is an object, it's a subset of objects. It's closer to an action. And I would say it's the effect of uh, actions taken. Um, and so if it's going to be a good effect, then by all means, I suppose, it would be good to take it. But I, generally speaking, most people can recognize that the types of things that people desire to go into debt for and what we're tempted to go into debt for is not always good for us. Yeah. Um, but there's also areas where going into debt for something can have other beneficial effects. Yeah. Like I would say going to university, like we live in a day and age where people think they have to go to university. I, I don't think that at all. I, I think that a lot of people would be better off um, learning trades and doing things of that nature than taking out the debt to go into school. And when we look at the world around us, we are called to be good stewards, and it is a spiritual matter. Uh, it's whenever we relate to other objects in the world, again, we can use them sinfully or we can use them in, in a more righteous fashion. We can use them righteously. And Christ, he's, he's come to die for us, to purchase for us a salvation, and the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift so that we could be quickened for righteous living. And as Christians, this means that we must, in our own personal lives, be willing to live righteously. And what I was talking about earlier, how this servant here, how he has two different standards, one for the national level and one for like the local level, uh, that's totally hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not having a slip up, like say you, you profess to be a Christian and then you accidentally sin and then you come and confess and say, look, I've slipped up. You know, that's just having a backsliding moment of falling. Hypocrisy is when you're pastoring a church and you're running a nightclub at the same time and you're totally fine with it. You've got two different sets of, of belief systems. You have one for me, one for the others. This guy in this story, he is a hypocrite in the sense that he thinks the king should be forgiving people because he's the king, he's got all that power. But I personally don't have to commit to that level of virtue. I've got different virtues applied to different people. We as Christians, whenever we look at the world and whenever it comes to things like finances, we have to come with the situation that says, God wants me to be making righteous decisions that are, are just and live by how he has taught me to live. Um, and I, in doing that, I need to make distinctions between needs and wants. Now, Christ wants us to have joy and he wants us to have um, pleasure even in this life, but not at the cost of advancing sin or things that have sinful ramifications on our own bodies when they take us to places of sin where we start doing things that we ought not do and we Instead of building up things in our life, we start tearing down elements of our lives just to satiate some pleasure. What we must do in the church is realize that it starts within our own hearts. And that's really where the folly happens with this, this servant, this slave in this story. So that's where we're going to end this. Um, and that's the big takeaway I want you to have from this. Before you start looking at things on the, the big scale, you've got to look in your own heart and you've got to be looking to the world around us to have that personal transformation we're never going to find um, a utopia on this side east of Eden. It's, you're an idolater if you think that's possible. You're, you're lying to yourself if you think we can create a utopia. Um, but don't have a different set of rules for a large scale than you have for personally because that just never works out. We've got to start with ourselves getting our own lives together and living righteously as Christ has exampled for us and taught us and commissioned and commanded us to live. Anthony, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No. No? Well, why don't you go ahead and pray for us as we close. Pray for our I audience. Will. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, be considerate of all the blessings and grace that you've shown us. And Lord, help us to fulfill true and full gratitude in that uh, we might be able to show the same grace and forgiveness to others. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be good stewards and that you'd help us to consider what's right by your kingdom and uh, your will for our lives whenever we're making financial decisions and also decisions that will affect our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.